Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Bucket List Gamers podcast. I am Eddie and I'm joined once again by Jay and I've remembered he's here this time. Hello, I am indeed. <laughs> although although I may as well not be, to be fair. There's a, good, there's a good chance I may as well not be here for today's episode given the subject matter, but I will let Eddie continue his introduction and uh, we'll go from there. And today we are discussing Valve's offering of puzzle platform gamers, that is Portal and Portal 2. So Portal 1 is released in 2007 and is number 61 in the magazine. And Portal 2 was released in 2011 and is number 96. I'd, I'd offer it out for you to start and start the discussion rolling, but I kind of get the feeling it's going to be predominantly me. So sorry, if you, sorry, listeners. Well, I was just going to point out there, you could probably audibly hear Eddie rubbing his hands together um, <laughs> as he introduced those games because he's talking about Portal, which I know is one of his favourites. For me, it's just one that I've not literally not been able to play because I tried to play Portal 1 multiple times and just get incredibly ill. Like, every time I play it, it just gives me motion sickness almost straight away. It's not necessarily my kind of game anyway. I do like puzzle games, but that one is on that end of puzzle games that I find frustrating. I I get it, and I can figure it out. It's not that I'm too thick to understand how it works or anything like that. It is literally that I just... Yeah, there's there's something about the mechanics in it and and the, the controls and how you're meant to use the portals that disagrees with my equilibrium I think and after about 20 minutes of playing it I feel incredibly nauseous and I I could probably watch somebody else play it one of my friends friend of the channel Jack has offered to play through it for me while I watch watch him play it which to be fair is how we play um, Elden Ring because I'm terrible at it and he's good at it so I tend to watch and give advice while he plays it so we could we could do that uh, which we might do in the future, but yeah, it's just it's one that I've never been able to. I've never tried to. Maybe two would be better. The graphical jump might make it less sort of abrasive on me. But I tried one. I even tried one this week, and yeah, the same exact feelings came flooding back about twenty minutes in, and I was like, I need a bucket. Or I need to stop playing this. So <laughs> it's VR without the VR, then. Yeah, essentially. I mean, some VR I'm fine with if it's teleporting vr i'm fine my other half bought me a doctor who one where you literally press a button and you walk and that did not agree with me i think i played it for about an hour and i got incredibly bad headache and i felt sick for about three or four hours after i'd played that uh so yeah there's there's obviously something in my head that just doesn't like that level of motion in a game and other other games do it to an extent i've been playing quite a bit of dead island 2 recently and I think because that is first person and everything is right up in your face. Eventually, after playing that, I, I am also using glasses that are about two years out of date. I'm waiting for a new prescription, so that could play into it too. But yeah, Minecraft does it as well. If I play Minecraft too much, because everything is literally in front of your face in first person, and it's sort of, yeah, there's not a lot of perspective. It's just textures directly up in front of your face. If I play that for too long, I get a headache as well. So. But unfortunately, Portal is just that to like a ridiculous degree. Yeah, I think that's kind of understandable because a lot of the puzzles in Portal use like magnitude and linear momentum for you to complete them. So you get uh, one of the key selling points of the game is the portal gun. So you can create two different colored portals, blue portals and orange portals. And if you shoot them onto specific surfaces, shooting a blue one and an orange one onto a different surface. If you walk into the blue one, you will come out of where the orange one is and vice versa. And that's how you end up traversing the majority of Portal's puzzles and Portal 2's puzzles, to be quite honest. And with you saying that you might fare better with Portal 2, I don't think you would, (laughs) because the momentum (laughs) in that is just enhanced because of how much better the graphics are. You do obviously have like 60 FPS frame rate, whereas in Portal mm. it was like 30, so you could probably have that little slight lag. Whereas the Portal 2 is just, it is relentless. I mean, they've, with Portal 1, it was originally designed without a story. So they just had like level after level after level after level, and then the uh, dev testers were like, 
are we are we building towards something? You know, what are we going to get at the end of this? And it was at that point that the Valve team went, oh yeah, that's a very good point. We should probably like build a story around this, um, which they they ran with in Portal Two because there's so much more story in it um, than there is in Portal One. I think that was part of it as well for me, like the fact that there wasn't an awful lot going on in Portal 1 to keep me interested and and fight through the fact that I felt terrible playing it. If the story had been intriguing enough, I might have split it up and and played it 20-minute intervals or something to try and get through it. But yeah, there's I, I get where the story's going from playing the bit that I've played. But yeah, it's it's very... I don't know, was it meant to be a tech demo or something? Because that's the impression you get out of it when you're playing it. It's like, oh, look at this that we can do. And like you say, oh, here's a story just cobbled onto the back of it to keep you playing. It it sort of was, really, because it was based off a, another game called Narbacula Drop. I did my research on this. Yeah, it's a spiritual successor to it, isn't it? Yeah, and that was made in 2005. It was sort of a freeware, and it was developed by students um, rather than actual Valve employees. Um, And one of the Valve developers saw that and went, can make a game out of that, recruited some of the people that had built that original tech demo and uh, cranked Portal out from it. It wasn't a standalone release either. It was released as part of Valve's Orange Box. So they released Portal and... It's Half-Life games, is it? Is it Half-Life, Half-Life 2 and the um, shooty one <laughs> that I can never remember the name of. Team Fortress. It was Team Fortress. Oh, okay, yeah, that's that's another one that completely passed me by, but I've heard an awful lot about it. But that was that was like a, a big streaming thing, wasn't it, Team Fortress? Yeah, um, and Valve weirdly still supported it until fairly recently, and they were doing like weird that like kept releasing patches for it, and like here's some more hats for your characters. It's like Jesus Christ, Valve, can you just make Half Life Episode Three? Rather than just keep releasing hats for Team Fortress Two, please. But no, they just they were persistent with Team Fortress Two. I mean, it was a good class-based shooter, but it wasn't, you know, worth p-ing the entire player base off by permanently sort of postponing Half Life uh, Episode Three, which we've still no sign of. But yeah, Portal. Uh, so it was based on Narbacular Drop, and it it, t- it took a lot of inspiration from that game. It is very much a... I wouldn't even say it was a spiritual successor. I'd say it was the full game that Narbacular Drop was intended to be, with a story mode built around it. So in Portal, you are called a woman called Chell, who wakes up in a testing facility, um, <laughs> and it's set... I think it's set a couple of months after an incident has occurred in this testing facility where this new AI was released and basically it just gassed the entire um, testing facility. So you've woken up and this AI is hell-bent on testing, like getting people to complete these testing chambers. And as you progress through it, it becomes very, very apparent that this AI is really unhinged like to the point of demented and there there are safety signs up everywhere saying that we care for our employees sort of thing and as you're going through it you slowly realize she doesn't care at all she just wants to test and she's made hideous abominations of rooms where there's pits of acid and like spike traps um and yeah your quest is to get through to the end and challenge her and her name is glados who is for a like a, a robot villain has a weirdly sexy voice and they actually they deliberately picked her so she did um, the woman who did the voice acting for it she did the voiceover for some of the turrets because the turrets are talkative as well and have like little quirky personalities and she did the voice recording for those and they said all right try different emphasises and try different um, voice inflections and things like that. And she did one that was supposed to be slightly sultry and they were like, oh, that doesn't really suit the turret. However, it may suit the main villain. <laughs> and that's what they went with. Sexy robot. <laughs> and and sexy robot done well as opposed to 
sexy robot in Atomic Heart that is just gratuitous for the sake of it and not particularly comical or endearing. So I know we, I, I think I'm going to be mentioning Atomic Heart for probably the length of how long we do these podcasts because it's, it was such a letdown. I just can't let it go. I just have to keep bringing it up every opportunity. But please continue. I was actually, I was just going to say, looking at the timeline of it all, because I know you said it was set a couple of months after this incident. From what I can see of the timeline, because it's in the same universe as Half Life, isn't it? So they they exist in the same space. And from what I saw, it was sort of Half Life One, Portal, Half Life Two, then like a massive leap, and then Portal Two. Yeah. So. Um, I'm not sure how that or whether that plays into the storyline too much, but like, do they do they link together in any way? Yeah. So you get to the end of Portal One and you you beat the boss as you do in these sorts of games. You know, you get to the end boss, do a thing three times and win, sort of thing. Very Nintendo of them, to be quite honest, because they've sort of like put a trademark stamp on that. So you do th- something three times and you win against a boss. Um, so you do that and. At the end of the game, you're knocked out and then you're slowly dragged off. Your eyes are slowly opening and shutting and it's all in first person. And you can just see Chell being dragged away from her perspective. And then you wake up like years later and you've been placed back in suspended animation um, in the training facility that is now completely in disrepair. And you wake up to a very, very nervous, almost anxiety-riddled AI (laughs) that is voiced by Stephen Merchant, and he does a really, really good job of Wheatley, because you initially come round, (laughs) and he asks you to um, basically just says, uh, can you try jumping for me? And a little on-screen prompt comes up to says, press A to jump and you jump and he goes very good very good very good he says now can you uh, can you say something to me and again it comes up saying press a to speak and you just jump on the spot again and he's just sort of like no that was a jump um we'll we'll try something else and he gets you to try something else and again the prompt comes up with press a to whatever it is and you just jump again he's like right never mind we'll just try and work our way through this anyway (laughs) and uh, yeah so you eventually just end up working your way back through some old defunct testing chambers until you find glados again Ah, so very much a similar game but set in a different time i suppose so you get that different perspective on it yeah you also get a lot of back history to why the testing chambers were sort of set up because it, there's a bloke called Cave Johnson, and he's a bit like Joe from Family Guy, crossed with J. Jonah Jameson from Spider-Man. <laughs> and he just goes on rants about science. <laughs> and it, He just keeps ranting about different things that they're testing, and part of the testing facility is there because they found that Moonrock has very good conductive properties so it's they slather the walls in moon rock and that's how your portals work so they will only sort of adhere to surfaces that have been covered in moon rock what they don't realize is that they're highly cancerous so he comes down with a very bad case of the cancerous lurgy does cave johnson and the voice logs get more and more ranty more and more ragey um, to the point where he starts saying, if life gives you lemons, make life take the lemons back. I don't want your damn lemons. <laughs> and he just starts ranting on and on and on about the fact that he's dying, basically. But yes, it's it's very good black humour, really. Yeah, I've seen a lot about the twists and turns and the storyline and stuff, but not. I don't know the full end-to-end thing, so... At some point, I would like to, at the very least, watch a playthrough of it. The fact that Stephen Merchant's in the second one is tempting me to to give that one another go because he could probably make it in- interesting enough for me that I'd want to keep playing it. But yeah, it's one of those that is really disappointing that I can't. I'd love to sit down and play it all, but I just couldn't get on with it all. And I don't know if that's a common thing or whether it's just me, but yeah, I don't think the first one didn't have enough in it to keep me in- interested past how it made me feel a bit uneasy a bit queasy so 
Yeah, I've played... I mean, we can't talk about Half-Life too much because they're both in the list as well, so we're going to have to do a separate episode for those. But yeah, is, like with the crossover aspect of it, is it just sort of referential that they're in the same universe and that's about it? I don't think it's even referenced in Portal. Mm. Anything to do with the Combine, Mog- um, yeah, uh, Freeman never comes up. But it is supposed to be set in the same universe. I mean, it's. I think they say it's in the same universe because it uses the same physics engine. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So Portal are really big. Uh, Valve, sorry, are really big on like physics engines, and because Half Life's full of little quirky puzzles that require you to, in the middle of a high speed chase, get out of your car and build a ramp out of blocks and some metal. Um, which would break flow in any other game, and it kind of does in Half-Life, to be honest with you. But uh, yeah, it, they try and shoehorn it in wherever they can. and Yeah, no, it makes sense. But yeah, it's one of those that seems to get loads and loads of acclaim. But then you don't hear a lot of people talking about it when they mention their favourite games and that kind of thing. It's It's more one of those that I think people experience and really like but maybe not one that you can go back to time and again and, and keep playing it over and over again. I suppose a lot of the aspect of it is the storyline evolving and once you know what's going to happen and you know how to solve the puzzles, it's not that replayable, I suppose. I mean, if they released it in this day and age, they'd probably have some sort of mechanic in it where it could generate unlimited amounts of puzzles, like random generation, so that it could just keep generating more and more for you to to take on but back then that wasn't really a thing was it so i wonder if they ever do a portal 3 that's that'll be what it is where it just generates unlimited amounts of puzzle rooms for you to go through i think it'd kind of spoil the experience if that's the way they went with it to be honest with you um i mean with portal 2 you did get story single player and then you've got multiplayer as well where you play two um test bots basically, and you go through similar to the base game, really, but one of you has an orange portal gun and one of you has a blue, so it's all about teamwork and how do you get you both to the end without dropping one of you in a pit of acid. But yeah, I think if they just ended up doing um, sort of almost random generated rooms, I don't think it'd be... I don't think it'd work quite as well. It's a bit like the whole Mario Maker thing that Nintendo did where they were like oh here's infinite numbers of Mario worlds you can make it's like great I'd, I'd rather you just actually paid a developer a professional person to make a crafted experience thank you very much rather than just churning out endless numbers of uh, derivative levels for me to attempt see I like I'd love to be good at Mario Maker as well that's another one I've, I've I don't have the time or the patience to make good levels on it but I've watched a lot of people playing Mario Maker. One of the people that I follow on YouTube, basically, that's his entire career now. He just plays Mario Maker levels. And he plays a lot of troll ones. And they are just fascinating to watch how people have manipulated Mario to, to mug people off for 20 minutes per level. And it, they are really fascinating. So, yeah, I'm, I sort of agree that Nintendo could have just churned out a new game. But at the same time, I'm sort of glad they did Mario Maker because it it's given so many people like this creativity to do stuff that Nintendo never would do. Like Nintendo make levels difficult, but they wouldn't make them actively punishing, which is what a lot of people have done with Mario Maker too. So yeah, watching some of the troll levels, if you get a chance to watch them on, on YouTube, some of them are genius. Like you can't even imagine how they've come up with it and how they've got it to work and then some of the other stuff people do on there, like the the ones where you literally don't move your controller, so you go in, it's just an auto level, but everything is timed up to perfection to move Mario on to the end of the level without him actually moving. And it's stuff like that that I just wish I had that creativity to do because that is genius. And I'm surprised they didn't do a portal maker where people can design their own their own puzzles for, for others to solve because that would have worked as like a... Not a main game, but definitely as like a a mini mode in two or like a standalone side game or something. So I'm surprised they didn't do that because it would be quite easy to do, wouldn't it? You just give people all the assets yeah, and let them put them where they want and then 
same as Mario Maker, they have to prove that they can finish it and then other people can download it and play it and stuff. Yeah, because I mean, stuff like Time Splitters and Time Splitters Future Perfect had level creators and that was back on like the GameCube. So if yeah. they can manage to do it, I'm pretty sure Valve in their infinite wisdom will be able to cobble something together where you can just get like a massive bucket of assets for people to just piss around with and have fun. But yeah, I think I think the fan base would probably go bonkers over it, to be honest with you, because it, it is, like you say, it's not a mainstream hit as such. It is very culty in its following, and you can always... I mean, again, like we've said about previous uh, fan bases, one of the letdowns for, for Portal is the fan base, really, because they're a bit obsessive about it and the whole the cake is a lie um, makes them bray like idiots and it's like it was <laughs> funny charitably speaking once but yeah uh, I, I could see them really getting into a make your own and they do verging on psychotic kind of levels um, worthy of GLaDOS herself I think well there you go Valve you you feel free to take that idea, and if it sells, just remember, just remember where it came from. Because I'm pretty sure we must be the first people to ever think of that idea. So, no one else out there has ever come up with that. I'm pretty sure. So yeah, just remember us when that's a massive multi-million-pound seller. But it's one of them for me. Portal, I, like you say, it's a cult following, and it's not one that I ever got into. I do respect the fact that Valve merchandise the hell out of it when they realised that people loved it. I mean, they were making soft toys of those companion cubes and cakes and all sorts, weren't they? And yeah, brilliant. I like that kind of thing. And I'm a I'm the kind of person that would buy it if I was interested in that game because I have got a room full of tat. I mean, I'm looking at a big Banjo-Kazooie controller holder as we speak and I'm pretty sure I'm one of the only few people that ever bothered to buy that, but yeah, I do. I do like a bit of merchandise, and it looks like they just went right. People are loving all the bits in Portal. Get get everything churned out quickly. To be honest, they even did it to the point where they deliberately redesigned the companion cube in Portal Two just so they could make a different plushie of it. <laughs> and you just think, oh, fair enough. Yeah, do you know what? If you're gonna cash in, cash in, lads. Um, but they did like those little collectible you can get like little boxes of random collectible figurines can't you hmm. and that i think there were 42 different gun turrets that you could collect with like different um sort of camo skins on them so there was just like the plain ordinary one the plain ordinary one with the gun little turrets out um so it was oh. active and then you had like a camo gear one a leopard print one and there were 42 of the damn things I've got one of them, and I, I didn't actively go and buy it. I got it in. I used to get these things called Nerd Cubes. They, they were from Canada, so they cost a little bit to import, but they were full of stuff that you mostly couldn't buy in England. So even though like some of it was pretty rubbish and stuff that I wasn't interested in, I could generally keep the stuff I was, and the stuff I wasn't interested in, I could sell at a little bit of a profit because people over here couldn't get it any other way. And I got one of those blind bag portal things in one of those and it had a turret in it and I didn't have a clue what it was um, and I think I sold that for a few quid because like you say there was that many of them to buy the blind bags to get a full set wasn't economical at all so people were just buying the individual ones on, on eBay and yeah I think that sold quite well so that, that makes more sense now because I didn't have a clue what it was I got a plush companion cube in one of them at one point which is probably still knocking about because I don't think I ever sold that but yeah, I love a bit of merchandise and fair play to him because if I was a, a Portal fan, I'd have probably been going after all 42 turrets and it'd have cost me God knows how much. But yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one to talk about really, especially because I don't know much about it. But it's, there's not a lot of content in it to discuss really, is there? It's it's one one mechanic dragged out across two games with... A, a pretty, even though it is interesting, sort of a pretty paint-by-numbers storyline of like AI that's gone a bit loopy. So it, it 
reminds me a bit of, and I assume that was some sort of inspiration to it, you know, in 2001, A Space Odyssey with the computer that goes crazy. And it, it it's, it's similar, yeah. isn't it? It's got the same feel to it. But yeah, I don't really know what else we can say. And we're only at half an hour at the, at the minute. Is there anything else you can expand on in the Portal universe? No, not particularly. And I think <laughs> we were discussing the other week, weren't we? Um, once we finished recording, that the Bucketless Gamers magazine have picked multiple entries from specific series. And it, you do just look at some of the entries and think, but there are better games out there yeah. than this as it's offering. And if if you're going to do a, a top 100 games to play before you die, you'd cherry pick one, maybe two out of a franchise. Because, I mean, I think there's are there, are there four or five Resident Evil entries in the list. And it's like... One, one remake, two and four, I think. So yeah, you've got four. We've done four already. Uh, we've got. We'll do one and one remake together, obviously, because it's the same. It's not the one remake's not even a reimagined remake like the two, um, three and four ones, is it? It is literally a like for like with nicer graphics, and I use air quotes around nicer because they've not put a lot of effort into it. To say it's it garners two spots on the list, so yeah, it, there are baffling decisions like that um, throughout the list, and this is one of them. Like Portal Two, for some reason, is much lower than Portal One, although I imagine it's a much better game. Portal One is a more streamlined experience. It's very trim. It's very it can fit into its um, sort of dress nicely. Portal 1. Portal 2 is a little bit bigger and a little bit chunkier, however that just means it's a bit flabby. There's a load of stuff Mm. that's not necessarily relevant to... You don't need it in there. Um, You do tend to go on a lot of sort of little asides in in the plot and for the purpose of building a world narrative and things like that. Um, But yeah, I'd say that... Portal 1 was the better experience. 20 entries worth of better, though. Because surely you'd put them fairly close together, not like 96 and 61. It... This is the kind of problem I'm having with grading them, really, in in my head, because they are so similar. Yeah. And it you could have just put it as Portal 1 and Portal 2 as an entry, because it's the continuation of the same narrative. It's, it adds a couple of little differences into the mechanics of portal 2 from portal 1 but it's not a massive overhaul aside from adding in multiplayer which i'm not really fussed about multiplayer to be quite honest i'm a a single player kind of guy i do like crafted experiences um like that rather than running around with a load of kids who've got older mummy and daddy's credit card (laughs) and have paid for the best weapons and spend hours a day camping so that when I spawn in, I get shot. Not that I'm bitter, <laughs> but that's why I don't like multiplayer, online multiplayer anyway. But yeah, I don't I don't understand why they have put them as massively separate entries because they're both... I, assume, I was just going to say, I assume Portal 1 gets the bigger... I say bigger. The, the lower number, as in higher up the list, because of... The fact it was something new when it came out, yeah, that's not well. It it wasn't something new, was it? Because it was a, it was a game in its own right beforehand. But mainstream wise, it was something new that you'd not really seen in any other games. So that's probably why it gets that because it's got the prestige of being first to the table in terms of that physics based portal traversing game, which I'm sure other games must have ripped off now to some extent. So yeah, I assume that's why it gets the higher number. But for me, I'm I'm wondering now if we on our version of the list, in very specific circumstances like this, group them together. So maybe we'll look at doing that. I mean, there's some games on the list that don't deserve that to be done. So Resi One, Resi Two, and Resi Four, I'd say are very separate entries. One and Remake, no, they should probably be grouped. But then you look at 
another spoiler for the list, there's two different Monkey Island games on there, which, although are very similar, I think they're different enough to warrant their own spots because they are separate in terms of the storyline's different, the art style's different. The play style is pretty much the same. They've refined it a bit for two. But yeah, in, in terms of those, I think there's enough that they warrant their own entries. But when it comes to this, I think we probably might just group them as one on our list. So our list might not even end up with 100 on it. And we might even sneak a couple of our own onto the list to pad it out to 100 again. That might not be a bad idea because, as we said last week, I think there's certain games like The Sims. For it. I mean, I don't love The Sims. It's not one that I've played loads, but I think it deserves to be on this list somewhere for for what it did for gaming. And like a theme park, theme hospital, rollercoaster tycoon, all those kind of games don't get a mention. And you'd think in a, a retro gaming thing where it's a little bit more PC-based that have been more... DOS games in there and there aren't so yeah we might have to to think about tweaking it and coming up with our own list that's a little bit more dynamic than theirs I mean you can't even say that it's because it's retro gaming because it's not you you can't look and say that 2011 on 2012 is retro really because it's not Maybe it is now, though. Maybe we're like, maybe it isn't to us, but maybe like to kids these days. That's like, oh, 2007, that's retro now. Like, for me, retro is like arcade machines and like Commodore 64s and Amigas and stuff. But for kids these days, like PS1's probably retro to them. So I suppose it's all relative, isn't it? But I'd kind of say PS1 was retro, but... (laughs) I don't know, I still don't class it as retro. It's still <laughs> it's still fairly modern to me, a PS1. But yeah, it's one of those things that, like for me, retro is old school, like people copying tapes and handing them around to each other and, and floppy disks and, you know, all that kind of thing. Whereas, like, PS1, I know there was a lot of chipping and stuff going on on PS1, but you couldn't literally just get a game and copy it for your mate, could you? Well, you could on the Dreamcast, but... We'll not talk about that. That's part of the reason that failed so spectacularly. But yeah, for me, retro is that feeling of like home computing and people making games in the bedroom, like and putting them on a cassette tape and just sharing them around and not charging for them, which is probably the wrong definition of it these days. Retro is probably like you say, I don't know, PS2 and before. PS2 would be right on the cusp now, I'd say. Yeah, I'd say so. So when I for me retro would be anything pre three D graphics becoming sort of very mainstream, and pre PS two you didn't get a lot of three D graphics. Not that didn't look like Playmobil characters <laughs> made out of plasticine very badly by someone with scissors for hands. You got like three D ish, didn't you, on PlayStation One? So like. Abe's Odyssey and Abe's Exodus and stuff, they're 3D sprites, but they're in a flat world, so it's not properly 3D. And I think that was the sort of transition period, wasn't it, where you went from... Because some games on, like, we've said it before, SNES and Mega Drive and stuff, look brilliant even today because they were within their boundaries and they were cartoony-style graphics that would still appeal today. So you look at Mario, obviously... Is a good example, but then there's like quite a few other games like Zombies Ate My Neighbors and stuff like that, where they're in that very cartoony style. And it, you could release that today, and people wouldn't go, "Oh, this looks dated." It just would be of that style. Whereas a lot of PlayStation One and, to an extent, some PlayStation Two games, you just look at them and go, "I can't believe we used to sit and play this and like actually know what was going on," because it's just like a jumble of colors on the screen and. But for us back then, that was amazing. That was like the thing, weren't it? Everyone was clamoring for it. And you look at it now and just go, oh, this is, it's a chore now to look at this and try and play through this. Even the likes of Final Fantasy X. So Final Fantasy X was like the last year or couple of years of the PS2's life cycle. And that back then was like the peak, the pinnacle of uh, computer graphics back then. And even that now hasn't aged well. The facial animation isn't great. It was a weird time, wasn't it? Because then when you got to like Xbox 360, those games obviously don't look as crisp as today's games, but they don't look bad. They just look like a little bit fuzzy around the edges and stuff. 
But that period of PS1 and 64 where they were really getting to grips with how to do 3D, a lot of those games that were really good are just, you try and play them now and it's hard to get past the visuals, even for me as somebody who played them back then. So I don't know how people who were looking to go back and play them now, that would be a real struggle, I reckon, for me now. Yeah, if I didn't have the rose-tinted glasses that I have for old Nintendo consoles and gaming and the likes of PS2, yeah, I I think I genuinely struggle to play the majority of the titles on there. Even stuff like Ocarina of Time, which is... It's on the list, but everyone says it is the best game of all time. And even I know it's not. And I adore Zelda and I adore Ocarina. And I played that so many times. And to completion so many times. So 100%ed it, collected everything. And I did it again and again and again and again and again. And even I can look at it now with the benefit of hindsight and go... It's probably not that great, lads. <laughs> I think it looks nice, though. I think for the time, Ocarina looks... They they sort of kept it within the limitations of what they knew could look nice. Like Mario 64 pushes that a bit, and there are bits of Mario 64 that look really bad. Whereas Ocarina, all of it, it looks quite nice even now. It's blocky, but it's well done and like the environments look quite good and most of the enemies look like they were designed for that style i suppose so i don't yeah ocarina doesn't upset me too much but like one of the games we were when we were talking the other day we were on about like games that basically nick stuff from mario 64 like the the camera controls and stuff and we said that these games probably wouldn't exist if mario 64 hadn't existed the one that i completely forgot to mention but is probably top of the pile is croc yeah because that was basically, I mean, it was meant to be a Yoshi game, wasn't it? The original idea for it, the team made it as a Yoshi standalone game and Nintendo said they didn't want it. So they turned him into a crocodile and put him on the PS1. And that game, as much as I love it, and I remember I remember going and buying it from Toys R Us with my birthday money, I remember playing it for hours on end and loving it. It looks horrible these days. I, I tried to play it a couple of weeks back and it just does not look nice at all. It doesn't control particularly well either. But that's beside the point. It looks terrible. And I think that's what I mean about that period of games where they just tried to do too much. They could have made that game look much more cartoony. Still 3D, but rounded a few edges off and made it look a bit more cartoony and it would have been fine. But because they tried to make it look so cutting edge back then, now it looks like a pile of garbage, unfortunately. And it's a shame because it's a fun game. But yeah, I I don't think I could go back and play it start to finish now. No, I think uh, a lot of games from way back when, I I could probably convince myself to either download or boot up and then play them for about an hour and go, yeah, do you know what, this this is just an assault on the sensors. I I need to play something that's 60 FPS that doesn't feel like I've got brake pads digging into my eyes. And I always thought I wasn't like a graphic snob. It's never really bothered me. You know, like when people, when a new game comes out and they're like, oh, this this doesn't run at 60 frames per second and it's not so-and-so and all this. I've never been bothered by that. But now, going back to stuff like Croc, for example, it's it's difficult. And I, I think we need to start lobbying now for a Croc remaster. Well, Spyro's <laughs> had one. Exactly. Bring Croc back to his his glory. Because he wasn't... It wasn't much worse of a game than Spyro, I wouldn't say. And that's, as you said, that's had the treatment. So let's get a petition going. Get on change.org. But yeah, I'm just going to, I'm going to call an audible now. We've got 20 minutes left. I reckon we get another couple off this list that we don't have enough to say about. So I reckon we should look at Sensible Soccer. Okay. Well, I've, I've... because I know for a fact you haven't got anything to say about it. I don't have a lot to say about it. Um, so just give me a, a minute to find out what number it is. Just talk about Portal or something for a couple of minutes and I'll find out what number it is and then I'll come back. Um, okay, so <laughs> in terms of um, overall score for Portal, then, um, as we've said, I think it is a bit of a challenge trying to grade them separately. Um, I think it'd be a bit churlish if we did. Um, and it'd be a massive disrespect for everything 
that we've concentrated on making distinct scores for because they are very disparate games, whereas Portal 1 and Portal 2 are so damn similar. You could just put uh, put them on one disc, put a bit of a cutscene in the middle, and uh, you'd be able to just transition from one to the other and just say they were one game, to be honest with you. So with Portal 2 not being massively influential, because it didn't do anything to revolutionise game design at the time or um, platforming or puzzling or anything like that. Um, I mean, there were other games that cribbed off Portal, so Quantum Conundrum being one. They just never quite did it as well. I think that was the problem, really. Valve did it too well. And I think that's probably why so many people have such fondness for Portal, that it was a really well-crafted experience and it was something unlike anything we'd played before. I mean, it was almost like they'd done a ROM hack of a 3D um, game like Quake and they'd added sort of puzzle platformer elements into a first-person shooter and they'd taken it in a completely different direction. So I, I get why people adore Portal. And Portal 2, to be fair. But <laughs> Portal 1, definitely influential because it pretty much set a benchmark for puzzle platformers from then on. And those sorts of little enclosed experiences like the test chambers and going from level to level to level. And things like the Turing Test um, is another game that's come out since then that are little locked off puzzles that you can then complete and get towards some sort of end game. And without Portal 1, I think you'd have you'd have had a lot of derivative crap for years before Valve actually stepped in and went, right, this is the standard. Try and keep up. And I think, to be honest, Valve have sort of set that standard for quite a lot of things, to be honest. Even the latest Half-Life um, game, Half-Life Alex for VR... Again, Valve have done their usual because a lot of VR games these days are a bit... They're, they're experiences, they're not video games. So you strap the thing on your head, the two and a half pounds of plastic that costs you 300 quid, and you have a an hour's worth of a, an experience. It's not a game. You just wander around, you pick up a couple of things, and you go, oh, yeah, lovely, my noodly wrist in 3D space picking up this banana that you've 3d rendered fabulous why have i spent 200 quid on this i've got bananas sat in my fruit bowl going off that i don't pick up on a daily basis um but yeah valve really did sort of set the new benchmark for half-life alex by making it a properly good playable experience that didn't quite satiate people's hunger for half-life episode three but it was enough and and I kind of feel that that's what Portal is. It's that benchmark of this is where you need to set your standards at. Everyone else needs to carry the torch from here on. So I'd, I'd probably say high 60s. Should we have a look what we've already got and see where it might slot in? Been a bit lazy and not updated the ranking, so there might be a few others around here. Symphony of the Night, 65. Would you go higher or lower? Definitely higher. Uh, I think there's a few things in between, but then you've got Pokemon Gold, Silver, Crystal at seventy-one. I'd I'd happily put this at seventy, like sixty-nine, okay. seventy. We'll go seventy, and we'll put both in at seventy, as one entry. I think is is the way to go. Before we do move on quickly, the other game that I was thinking that probably I don't know if it was influenced by Portal, but it feels like it's got that same storytelling to it is have you ever played the stanley parable yes i know it's not the same gameplay and all that kind of thing but with the narrator telling you what to do and you sort of go against him and that feels like it's portal inspired even though the gameplay is not the same i think it's very much the same humor and i think it's very much tongue-in-cheek. It's very British humour as well, the Stanley mm. Parable. And so's Portal, really. It's not... It's very dark humour. Um, there's a lot of death and death jokes and 
There's a bit of slapstick in there, which I mean, again, British comedy what sort of excels in really it veers wildly between bleak and slapstick. So it it's almost like a lot of Valve employees have spent a lot of their youth watching uh, Monty Python um, and things like that. Because there's it's, there's not so much the imagery, but the sense of humour and the mm. random veering off into weird country for bits of the plot and things like that and just some of the comments and art bits of the architecture where you see stuff graffitied onto walls very very british humor so yeah i I completely agree that stanley parable is probably a valve fan yeah maybe we should play that one at some point but if we've got a score for portal and we've got a little bit of time left i'm i'm prepared to talk about sensible soccer now so I just thought it made sense. You've done two games that you're very familiar with and I know nothing about, and now we can do two games that I'm very familiar with that you probably don't know that much about that I don't think deserve to both be on the list. I mean, I'll I'll explain why, but I think there's probably an argument to say that neither of them deserve to really be on the list. And it's hard for me to say that because I grew up on Sensible Soccer and I really did love that game. So it's a it's a 2D football game, sort of top-down view at a slight angle. So you're either running towards the camera or away from the camera, depending on which end you shoot into. And it, it was very, again, very British. Uh, a lot of the player names were... Well, all the player names were changed because it wasn't licensed. So you got players like Paul Gascoigne instead of Paul Gascoigne and and things like that to to circumvent the the copywriting issues on it. But you could tell who all these players. I think Ryan Giggs was like Ryan Goggs and stuff like that. So it, it, they'd not tried very hard to to mask it. Uh, but it was fun and it, the the control scheme on it is horrendous. So you never actually have control of the ball. You run your character into it and they sort of nudge it in front of them. And you can, to an extent, turn and they will sort of keep it at their feet. And then when you shoot, you just sort of hit it and then you can add swerve to the ball once it's left your foot. You can score some pretty insane goals on it, but at the same time, it's also very hard to score any goals on it sometimes. So it's there's no middle ground. You don't score many average goals. You either score an absolute screamer or the keeper saves it nine times out of ten or you put it wide quite frustrating until you get the hang of it but when you do it sort of clicks into place and you can have a lot of fun on it so the two entries on on the list are sense of the just the bog standard sensible soccer at 51 from 1992 and then sensible world of soccer because at 44 which is from 1994 they don't vary much those two games i mean the, the gameplay is identical across both as far as i'm remembering i don't think the actual football gameplay changes at all but sensible world of soccer just expanded on everything so it put loads more teams in it put more modes of play in and the the most memorable for me is it put in a manager simulation mode so football management games were all the rage at the time with you sort of champ champ manager 94 and that kind of thing it added in a mode like that so you took a team and you could sign players for the team you had to keep the board happy and they had these terrifying animations of the boarding. So when, when you first started playing this, I mean, you remember what 1994 pre-rendered cutscenes were like, and they're all shaded really oddly. And from what I remember, the manager's got this like big flapping head and he's got a huge mouth that like opens and doesn't match the words and stuff. And he tells you in no uncertain terms that if you mess up, you're fired. And then the game starts and you can sign players, you can sell players, and then you have to actually play the games. And it, it was brutal because it's a hard game to win consistently, but it expects you to win fairly consistently. Otherwise, you literally do just get fired and you have to start again. So it was frustrating, but it was also a lot of fun and it was it elevated it from the original Sensible Soccer game quite a bit. But not enough to put both on this list, I wouldn't have said. I'd, I wouldn't have put the original one on the list. And I mean, there's there's an interview in in the magazine with the guy who created it, uh, John Hare, and even he sounds surprised that it's in the list. I mean, his opening gambit is, I'm delighted to see Sensible World of Soccer placed so highly, considering how many games have been made over the years. So he's saying it himself. He, he can't believe that it's actually in there. Um, but I mean, the Stanford University listed it as one of the 10 most influential games of all time. I don't know what year they did that, 
1994 maybe because I can't see it being recently but that's one of the facts in the book and it just that baffles me as to how that's the case because don't get me wrong it's a very fun game to play but top 100 to play before you die is a reach and top 10 most influential of all time seems like fantasy I mean I suppose in as far as how many bloody sequels to FIFA and PES we've had for the last 20 years. It probably is one of the most influential games because it set them up for uh, <laughs> for life, really, didn't it, EA? It was just like, here you go. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, maybe that is that is why. But yeah, th- th- this is why I've chose to tack it on the end of this episode because there's not a lot to say about it. It's a, it's a nice little 2D football game that you can play for a few hours with your mates and... It's one of those games where it's quite nice because you can actually see your progression. You'd see yourself getting better the more you play it because you adapt to its quirks and and the way that the ball is completely loose and you don't really have any control over it, which is how football should be, I suppose, but it doesn't make for a particularly fun game. Like if you were playing FIFA these days and every time you ran into the ball, it just pinged off a million miles in front of you, it wouldn't be a fun game to play. You have to have that element of it sticking to your foot but yeah that it's not a bad game and i mean if i'll say this if you want to see an example of a good game and a bad game play sensible soccer and then go out and buy again and actually i don't want to tell you to go out and buy this game but get a game called dino dini's kickoff revival because it might be the worst game i've ever played and i don't say that lightly but a couple of lads from work, Jack, who I mentioned earlier on, and another friend called Jordan, we saw it in Asda, and it came PS4, and it came with a T-shirt in the box, and it was £3. And I was like, what is this? So I picked it up, and I read it, and I was like, oh, this looks terrible. Anyway, they bought it me for my birthday as a joke. Um, and the T-shirt was an extra small, so it, it went over like one of my arms. And then I put the game in, and I was like, well, I may as well try it, seeing as they bought it me. Oh, it's horrific. It is, it's like sensible soccer, but everything that's wrong with sensible soccer magnified. <laughs> and bearing in mind that came out in like two thousand and like eighteen or something. It's not an old game, and the guy who made it, Dino Dini, I need to be careful because he's got a reputation of like suing people and booting off at people that slag him off. So we we probably don't want this to attract his attention. Um, <laughs> But yeah, he made games in the sort of 80s, I think it was, for like Atari and that kind of thing, when that kind of football game would have been good. And then in like nine, in 2019 or 18, I think it was, some reason made the same game for PS4, but it was almost like he'd literally just picked the game from back then and gone, bang, there you go. The graphics aren't any better. The controls aren't any better. In fact, a lot of people have said they're worse. There's just nothing about this game that's good. And if you play Sensible Soccer, which was made in 1994, it's better than that game that was made in, like, 2018. It's it's just horrible. And I, de- I can't describe how bad it is. Like, I'm not doing it justice saying how bad it is. If he worked for Atari, did he have a hand in making E.T.? <laughs> no, I think he, he kept himself mainly to football. But this is the mental thing about it, right? So you hear the name Dino Dini, yeah? And you think, must be an ex-footballer, surely. Like, they did Gary Lineker's soccer, Ronaldo had one, Michael Owen had a soccer uh, football game. You think Dino Dini must have been an old, like, 80s Italian football player who had a game franchise made after him. No, he's the programmer. He's the bloke who programs it, and he's named the game franchise after himself. (laughs) And and let's be honest, it's nothing to be proud of. So, like, Dino Dini's <laughs> goal was made in 1993 by Virgin Games. And then this new one was made, like... Uh, it might have been a little bit earlier. It might have been, like, 2015, 2016. But it is a worse game than the one that was made in 1994. I mean, it's got a Metacritic score of 31%, and I don't know how it's got that, if I'm honest. And then some somebody on the, on one of the reviews I've just seen says Dino Dini's Kickoff Revival doesn't attempt to compete with FIFA, and that's fine. Well, yeah, there's a reason for that, and it's certainly not fine. So anyway, 
I just thought I'd get that out there because I've been seething about that game for about four years now and I've needed an outlet. I put an Amazon review up for it. If you find the game on Amazon and go through the reviews, you'll see mine because it's about five times longer than everyone else's. It's like a full-blown review, but I was just so angry after I played it. I couldn't help myself. Anyway, Sensible Soccer. If you take it on what it is, it deserves a relatively high score. And I think this is one of them where we're going to have to stick it together as one entry because it's not different enough of a game. Sensible Soccer is basically a mode in Sensible World of Soccer. That's how similar they are. Like It's just literally built it out and nothing's changed so for me looking at the list we've got i mean it's not a bad game so i I don't want to score it low because you can have a lot of fun with it and of its time it was a good game i just don't know if it was good enough to place 44 on a list of 100 and 51st as well so i'd i'd be tempted to give it like if you gave portal a 70 I'd be tempted to give it like a, I don't know, a 64-ish because it is a fun game. And like, I don't want to, I'm not picking its position in the list. I'm saying that to play it, it's like it deserves well over 50 because it is a fun game to play. And I had a lot of childhood memories. I remember one of my friends once got really obsessed with it. And if you actually did manage to win like the league or a trophy or anything at the end of the season, you didn't get fired which was like the main goal, not to get fired, not to win anything, just not getting fired was the goal. It put up like a little screen that said, oh, congratulations, you have won. And then it showed you all the cups that you'd won and you win loss and everything. And I remember him being so ecstatic that he'd won the league and not got fired that he printed that off. And it was on his bedroom wall for about four years, just like pinned to the wall. So it does hold like a a place in my heart for being quite a fun football sim game. But I can't give it like seventies. It just in in the scope of a hundred games to play before you die, it doesn't deserve a score that high. So I'd say sixty. Let's go sixty four for both of them. Get them on the list and get them out of the way. Fair enough. I've I've got nothing to comment on really. <laughs> I've 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 seen bits of gameplay footage. And like you say, it's like you're playing a man whose legs have gone to sleep because you just sort of don't control the ball. You just sort of lumber at it and the ball just pings off ahead of you. I I have no interest in football games. I have no interest in football, really. I am a (laughs) Wednesday height by birth. Um, Mm. And and that's about it, really. That's the extent (laughs) of my footballing knowledge, I'm afraid. I can probably identify a couple of players if they ping up on... uh, a uh, quiz at some point. Um, Thought you were going to say I can identify a football. I I can identify a football. <laughs> I shall defer to your better judgment on this case. Yeah, it's it's a fun one, and I mean, the, the, there's a lot of fun in the element of looking at what they've called all the players. Well, that that was a, a big fun moment for me. And the fact that when you make your own team to do the career mode, you can actually name all the players and you can build them. So you can change, I mean, you can't change much. You can change sort of skin colour, hair colour, a couple of things like that. But I remember back in the day, we used to make teams of all, the, all of us from school and then try and get that team, take it in turns, playing a game each, trying to get them to like win the cup and stuff. So yeah, it was a it was a fun one when I was growing up, when it was of its time. It was quite like well received, and it was we played it a lot personally because there weren't many football games out at the time, and the FIFA games I never really got on with. I know a lot of people loved them, but I always preferred sensible soccer just because it was a bit more basic and and just more fun. Like the the fact that you can slide tackle practically half the length of the pitch and cripple someone that's not even got the ball and stuff like that. Just just always added an element of fun for me. So, yeah, I think it deserves a place middle table in the list, which is what we've given it, so I'm happy with that. Um, and in terms of Dino Dini, if that ever gets on the list, that'll be it for me. I'm retiring. If they do, if they do a reprint of this book and Dino Dini's in the top 100, that's it, I'm done. It is a brave thing to put your name on something. It's it's especially shite. <laughs> Especially when it's nothing nothing to do with you as well. Like It's like if I was a developer on a basketball game and stuck my name on the front cover of it. 
It's like I can't play yeah. basketball. I I don't look like a basketball player. Like, just keep your name out of it. Just call it kickoff or whatever the hell the bloody rubbish game was called. And I'm it's done a bit with like it, having don't... a kid and taking their finger paintings to the National Portrait Gallery <laughs> and <laughs> and saying, "This is my." <laughs> <laughs> finger finger painting exhibits and it's all a four-year-olds. It must purely be because he's got a name that sounds like an Italian footballer. I reckon it was a marketing ploy. I reckon he was like, oh, stick my name on it and then some people might think, oh, that must be an Italian player. This must be a good licensed game, which should have the negative effect because I can't remember a licensed football game that's ever been particularly good. I had the Ronaldo one. That was crap. I had the David Beckham one. That one was much better. Less said about the Michael Owen one, the better. I think I think I might have had a managing management sim one. It was like Ron Atkinson's management <laughs> sim. It's like you won't get away with that one these days after the stuff he's done. But I yeah, remember buying that. I, don't for, think... I think it was that for PC in like a second-hand <laughs> game shop, and I was like, "Oh, this one looks fun." It wasn't. It was terrible. I don't think any sort of licensed, licensed by an individual anyway, or like a, a group. So if it was like a pop group or something like that, I don't think any licensed game has ever been good. That's the odd one, isn't there? Tiger Woods, they did well. Oh, yeah, the PGA um, stuff. And... Tony Hawk's. I suppose that's yeah, another outlier. Point. But that you're not looking at many, are you? I mean, there was a Brian Lara cricket, I think was the best cricket game, but that's not saying much. And same for Jonah Lomu rugby. I suppose technically Madden is a... Because it's named after mm. John Madden, but it, uh, it doesn't play on him, does it? He's not like on no. all the menu screens and stuff. Like, But yeah, Tiger Woods is the main one I can think of that did all right. But then it wasn't Tiger Woods putting a game out, was it? It was EA going to Tiger Woods and saying, so we want to stick your, your name on the name. box. Yeah. Um. Whereas I think a lot of the other ones, like the David Beckham one and stuff, it's like little studios going, oh, can we use your name and not being an established thing and then him having a bit more involvement with it. So, yeah, Tiger Woods is is the... And Tony Hawk, I suppose, are the leading ones. And the Tony Hawk's franchise went down the toilet as well. So you can't really you can't yeah. really say that one. The, the only one that I've got stuck in my head, and it's not even a sports game, is 50 Cent. <laughs> so the original 50 cent game and 50 cent blood on the sand just awful awful games and you can tell he wrote those you can tell he wrote the, the scripting for that i don't think i've played them i've seen clips of them and they didn't look good but yeah again like celebrity ones like spice world that's not yeah. even a game really uh, i'm just trying to think of others that i've been suckered in by I can't think of many where it's just celebrities, but yeah, the 50 Cent ones definitely stand out. Which is a weird one, isn't it? Like, you'd expect it to be a character, not an actual person, because he doesn't go around with a, a body vest on shooting people. So why make it him in the game? Like, well, I think, hasn't he been shot like 20 times or something like that and still survived? So, I mean, he did, probably not that far off, to be honest with you. All I know is I'm not insulting him. I don't want to. No. I don't want beef with fifty. I don't think anyone does. Not if he's been shot twenty times. Anyway, Dino, so, not so bothered. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. Dino and his litigation might be just as deadly as those bullets. But all, all I'll say, fifty cents games were quite good. I thought. That's all I'll yeah, say. Yeah. Um, props to you. I mean, credit <laughs> for you re- as as a rapper reaching out and trying to do something different. Fifty. Bless you. <laughs> And I think we should probably wrap this up before we offend other people. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, probably best leave it there before we upset some, I don't know, some American not gang a... that, that comes after us. Yeah, well, that's not going to help, Eddie, <laughs> saying that. Well, we do live on the Isle of Man, Jay, so uh, <laughs> no one's going to find us. <laughs> and our address is... <laughs> Right, I think yeah, I think we best we we've given ratings to both games. We've we've done our bit for this episode. Um, oh no, we haven't. We haven't. We do have one other thing to do, and that is since we now have patrons on Patreon, we've got to fulfil our legal obligation to giving them a shout out. That so, 
we have one person currently in the bucket kicker category, which is the Sweaty Llama. So big thanks to him. And we are obliged to read out one random member of the couple of coins tier. And seeing as we only have one, it's his lucky day. So also thanks to Lee for the support. Um, and we're glad you're enjoying the podcast. And we hope that all one of you enjoyed the DLC episode we did so far. <laughs> Uh, but no, honestly, the, the laughter is more is more aimed at the fact that there's only one of you. But we genuinely do appreciate the people that have donated. If you can't afford to or it's not something that you're interested in, there is absolutely no pressure. We do not judge you. Um, but those of you that have, thank you. And the, the DLC episode will be out on Spotify. I think we've decided a month after we put it on Patreon. So another... Another three and a half weeks, and you will be able to listen to that. And there's nothing in there that's that's particularly timed content. You're not going to miss out. But if you want to hear it now, Patreon slash Bucketless Gamers, I think it is. Get over there, subscribe. You get the bonus content on every tier apart from the couple of coins one. So any of the other tiers, subscribe to one of those, and you'll be able to hear it early. And that's the same for all the early bonus content episodes that we do. So they'll all go up on there first and then be available at a later point, heavily censored uh, with beeps and and whatnot for all the swearing that we clearly do when we're on there. Uh, But yeah, thank you again to everyone that's supporting us. It it covers, it it might not seem like much, but it does cover a big chunk of what we have to pay to keep this going. And while it's not an issue for us to pay it, it is nice to know that people are enjoying it and we're seeing some sort of gauge that we know people are enjoying it so and every bit helps and in a couple more months we might be able to feed ourselves i don't know <laughs> don't guilt at the audience <laughs> i mean if anyone's seen me they know that i'm not underfed so i'm sure they uh, they can take it as, as the joke that it is but yeah i think we will call it there next week we're going to have a bit of a jammed recording sort of schedule, aren't we? Because I'm going on holiday for two weeks. It's rather inconsiderate of me. So we're going to have to record We're going to have to record a few things in advance and get them edited and queued up, ready to go out while I'm away. So we don't really know what we're doing for the next couple, but we might make it something we actually enjoy talking about so we can whip through them a bit, bit quicker. So, yeah, watch this space for what's going to be on the next one. I can reveal it won't be Shenmue. And that's probably about it at the moment. Damn. (laughs) So, uh, I will say that's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me.